Hi, this is Amanda. And this is Lindsay. We're True Creeps. Where the stories are true. And the creeps are real. We'll cover stories from grotesque gore. To the possibly plausible paranormal. To horrifying history. To tense and terrible true crime. And everything else that goes bump in the night. We want you to join us while we creep. We cover mature topics. Listener discretion is advised. Hello, everyone. Today, we are going to be talking about creepy kids. And this started in the Woods episode. I shared a creepy kid story about my kid. And we thought, hey, there has to be more. Yeah, it was interesting because Amanda brought up the idea. And then simultaneously, one of my best friends was like, what if you did an episode on creepy kids? And I was like, oh, yeah, late at night, they did text me that. Well, we have a lot of different stories, and a lot of them actually came from people we know. So we have a couple interesting things that make kids creepy, in our opinion. We have kids in horror. We have individual stories. And then we also have kids that remember past lives, which I find fascinating and creepy at the same time. Yeah, I feel like it makes the hairs on the, like my arms stand up when I think about children remembering their past lives, especially when they remember their deaths. Mm-hmm. So when I think about like creepy kids and why we find them creepy, one of the reasons why I think that kids are really creepy is because they talk about adult serious topics in like this cavalier way. So they'll talk about death like and then she died and you're like, that's a little too chill for me. Or in movies where there's a child involved and they're doing something sinister, it's so unlike the nature of a child to be a villain. (laughs) It's that opposite that makes children creepy. Why do you think kids are creepy? I think it's more the innocence factor. So when they're saying something, they're not saying it normally to be deceiving. They're saying it because they believe it to be true. Yes, that makes sense. So when they're like, I see a man doing this, or I see a ghost, or I see whatever, you're like, could they have been watching too much TV and they're dreaming about it? Or do they see something in their room? Yeah. Or the past lives thing. I remember when I was, you know, 12 and I got hit by a car and you're like, oh. (laughs) Yeah. And interestingly, so developmental psychologists talk about the fact that when children are aggressive in play or when they talk about death, that's completely normal. That's them like responding to their life via play. And psychologists Dr. Sandra Russ, who's a psychology professor at Case Western Reserve University in Cleveland, she said, adults talk it out, children play it out, which I think is really interesting because like how children are like processing things like they don't always say like, oh, I'm upset about this. It's like, I don't know, little Jimmy starts drawing like dark clouds in all of his pictures. You're like, oh, something is brewing or tantrums and things like that, too. It's all of that. I just thought this was interesting. I was Googling, why are children creepy? And one of the things that came up was child psychopaths. And I thought that was really interesting because I don't tend to generally think much about children as psychopaths. But one of the things that I find fascinating about it is that there's not even consensus among mental health professionals on whether children can be diagnosed as psychopaths. People who think that children can be diagnosed say the symptoms start as early as three. If you see it earlier, then you could intervene. And how many times have we talked about serial killers who were like, they were doing this weird stuff? Remember, I think we talked about it in our cult episode. We were like, huh, they were indoctrinating their friends. Well, like you can tell from things like a lack of empathy mm-hmm. that that might be a sign they might be a psychopath. And they also argue that there's significant harm if you don't diagnose and treat. And so on the other hand, folks who are against diagnosing children with psychopathy say that you can't diagnose a permanent condition 
like psychopathy on a human that is in process, right? Like they're still developing. And with that, they say that some people who grow up and who exhibited symptoms early in life, about a third of them grow out of it. And some people don't become what they describe as full psychopaths, which I don't love that. That sounds terrifying, right? What's a half psychopath? Yeah, I guess it's just like you're not a murderer, I guess. But so the other part is that they said the stigma is so intense that even if you were to diagnose children, that would do so much damage in and of itself, just the stigma of being called a psychopath as a child, that even if you were treating them, it would outweigh that, which I thought was like, hmm, that's an interesting kind of thought exercise, I guess, on how to help a child psychopath. Moving into a completely different realm. Amanda. Yes. What are your favorite horror movies that have kids in them? I think I've already said it before, but I love Poltergeist. Yes. Yes. And to this day, you don't really see it very often anymore, but when TVs are on and the white noise don't like it can't handle it especially with a kid (laughs) you know i have a little white noise machine next to the bed because it soothes me very intensely but it has the opposite effect on ben like it stresses him out and i wonder if that's why yeah he's watched the movie oh no yeah i mean i've watched it i'm just like oh they're there friends (laughs) what about you i think bills of the damned because it's all the kids and i'd also have to say children of the corn (laughs) question me not malachi like just 10 out of 10 love it it's a fun watch i can watch it over and over and i still like really enjoy it i like all of the haunting movies too like the ones where the spirits are like messing with the children first yes yes and i know it's kind of hokey but like the conjuring yeah some of it is good and solid some of it's not so much but i like the idea of how they went about it Yeah, I also like The Bad Seed and obviously The Omen, I think, are quintessential bad children movies. And then there's The Shining Twins, which I was like really thinking about that. And I was like, I think part of it is, is that they're really stoic and monotone, which is so unlike most children. Yeah. And that reminds me of Black Eyed Children. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And that like they're not acting how we expect children to behave. And that that's kind of one of the things that you see in horror movies is children acting in not childish ways. And that in and of itself is unnerving. Yeah. There's one that you listed on here. I left it for last on purpose because I knew that we were going to talk about it. Oh, man. Yeah. I was excited. And it's The Orphan. And if you haven't seen The Orphan, it came out years ago. So I'm going to say spoiler alert, but like you've had plenty of time. She's a grown ass woman. And I find that terrifying that like adults could pose as children so when there was a news article about a woman who possibly was posing as a child and we won't get like too in the weeds with it but it was thought because she was adopted yeah and then her caregivers left the country to move to a different country and then they were charged with child abandonment but they had found out that she was actually older than she had said and so they saw that she was in her 20s when they quote unquote abandoned her but then other medical professionals were like she's I think maybe in her tweens and I never saw a resolution as to how old she was because no one would agree because she had a type of medical syndrome where her physical appearance didn't match her age Yeah, the case is Natalia Barnett. And the last update that I had seen is that she was with a new family that did believe her to be a child. I have not seen anything recently, though. I feel like I remember reading stories about her and the mother where she would have very adult conversations and that like 
when she went to bathe her, she had full pubic hair. And so she was like, that's interesting. And like children can go through early puberty, but I would imagine that that would be surprising to see if you were expecting a child to be like eight or nine. Oh, it looks like actually in 2020, the court dismissed some of the neglect charges. And also, I want to think that when they moved to the other country, the reason they did so was so that their other child could attend a school that would be very good for them, which is not something that like a parent who's neglectful does. It would be strange that you're like, I'm going to uproot our entire life so you can go to a school that's beneficial for you. But other child, I'm going to leave because I don't care. Not to say that couldn't happen, but I just feel like that's more unlikely. So let's get into our creepy kids stories. Okay. So I had a few. I had asked some of my friends to just send me any creepy kid story that they had. And one of them, her name's Christy, sent me a very interesting one. And it starts out that they had moved into their house in about 2013. And from the first day she moved in, she felt a presence that she had never felt before. She felt like it was following her everywhere. And it was more intense in the evenings. She even mentioned her anxiety got so bad that she ended up having to take medications to curb panic attacks. Oh, wow. So it sounds awful. So long story short, she went to some mediums and she found out that the presence was a little boy named Billy and they estimated him to be age seven to nine. And she says that she felt better knowing that it was a little kid and, you know, she was like the mother figure instead of it being a scary presence. Yeah. Yeah. And she started communicating with him. She'd feel him touch her. She saw lights flicker. She heard him run up and down the stairs. She heard him make noise and even speak. He would yell mommy at night. She also says that she watched him play ball. So he rolled it around in the bathroom while she was getting ready one day. She also says that he had turned off the TV at one point and she asked him to turn it back on for her and he did. And she was home alone. So it couldn't have been, you know, someone messing with her. She also says that she saw him a couple times and overall he ended up being reunited with his mom. She says once he was reunited, she felt sad and empty and didn't really realize that you could bond with a spirit. I'll talk about it in a little bit. But I have felt that. Interesting. It's a very strange feeling. I want you to imagine, okay, you know how when you eat like a delicious, fantastic meal and you feel full, like your stomach feels full? I want you to imagine that sensation, but with your soul. Interesting. And then the absence of that, just suddenly. Yeah, wouldn't be a good feeling. Yeah, and it's like I didn't feel like less than, but I wasn't plus. I wasn't more. I don't know if that makes sense. Oh, it does. It's interesting to see somebody else say something like that. Yeah. Well, she had a couple small stories surrounding the same spirit. And she said that one night she was sleeping and she felt three taps on her right shoulder. So she sat up, she turned on the light. She thought maybe it was her husband or her kids, but everyone was sleeping. So she was a little, you know, nervous and wondering why someone tapped her. But then she smelled that the dog had pooped on the floor (laughs) at the end of the bed. So the week prior to the dog incident, her husband was saying that if he kept doing it, that they were going to get rid of him. And she says, that's all talk, though. That wouldn't happen. I don't think he would either. Yeah. <laughs> but so what she she thinks is Billy was waking her up to say to clean it before her husband's alarm went off. <laughs> Good looking out, Billy. Yeah. So she also said when the medium was helping Billy reunite with his mom, she was shopping at the store at that time. And then she felt that intense feeling of emptiness. And she kind of felt like she was floating and invisible to everyone around her. So she said it was like a strange, sad feeling. And then when she got home a few hours later, she felt him waiting for her at the door to say goodbye and that he would come visit. 
And then when she went upstairs, he followed her upstairs, but then he was gone. So she had a couple dreams of him after that, but now it hasn't been the same. He's not there anymore. Hmm. That's incredibly sad, but also sweet because she was able to help him. Yeah. Okay, my story next is about a creepy incident with a child, but it's not heartwarming. I find it hilarious. So my parents live very close to me and their house is like down a dirt road. Okay. And so my mom will like go onto the porch to smoke and then come back in. And she doesn't always lock the door like immediately. Normally she locks it within like a few minutes. So she had gone outside to smoke. She comes back in. And I'm assuming she's like sitting and watching TV. I don't know exactly what she was doing, but that sounds right for this time of day for her. And she's sitting there and the front door opens. And at first she thinks it's my dad, but it's weird because he wouldn't have been home from work yet. Mm-hmm. And in walks a little boy. Oh. That she doesn't know, has never seen. <laughs> and she's like watching him and he's walking around and like looking like he's looking for something and she's like excuse me and he's ignoring her and then she was like following him around like he went to like several different rooms okay and then he was about to go into the basement and then my nephew lives upstairs at my parents house she was like brandon come down and brandon came down and was like what's up little dude what's going on and the kid like runs out of the house and it turns out he was my neighbor's kid and he was playing hide and seek he was looking for a place to hide in our house. And I just gonna have to say, like, grade A, grade A hiding. Like, nobody was going to find it. Takes it seriously. So, okay, I live, like, right behind my parents. So sometimes, like, I'll come over. And she said that she sometimes hears the door open and will call out and, like, nobody will be there. And she's like, I wonder if he's done this before. <laughs> like, if he's come and hidden in our house before. Yeah. And I was like mom you're telling me you wouldn't know if there was a kid hiding in your house and she's like if he's good at it i might not can you even imagine what you would do if you like walked into a section of your house and there was just some child you've never seen before hiding oh my gosh yeah it would be scary only because you're like oh gosh like i didn't kidnap you i don't want you go home (laughs) so a friend of mine named Nora told me a couple creepy stories that happened in Texas. She would spend summers in Dallas with her dad in Texas, also with her aunt, and her aunt had five daughters, one of which was named Brenda. Brenda had an imaginary friend named Arete, and I guess that means earring in Spanish, and hopefully I didn't butcher it. Brenda would then have conversations with the friend, and she started waking up at night saying Arete wouldn't let her sleep. Oh, I don't like it. I don't like it. So her aunt was like, well, tell her to leave you alone. Let you sleep. You need sleep. She's like, no, no, no. She won't let me. So what they ended up doing is putting a baby monitor in the room because they wanted to know like what's happening. And Brenda would be telling her, leave me alone. I need to sleep. And then she'd wait, pause. No, I can't. No, I need to sleep. And just replying. But there would be a pause where someone would theoretically be speaking. Nora was babysitting once and told Brenda, okay, it's time for your nap. And she's like, no, I can't. Arete won't let me. And she's like, well, at least go lay down. You know, like, let's try it. Your mom told me to make you take a nap. You need to take a nap. So then she's up in her room and Nora hears running. And so she's like, she got out of bed. So she goes to the room and Brenda is sleeping soundly. So eventually they get the house blessed. Guess what happened to Arete? She was not gone, but she was stuck outside. She couldn't come back in the house. So I guess she'd still be like, oh, she's out there, but she couldn't come in. So I could see parents being like, well, if our house is haunted, we've got to have the priest come and bless the house. And maybe they don't think that there's actually something there. You know what I mean? They're just like, like a placebo house cleaning, if you will. And... (laughs) 
then she's like, didn't work. She's outside. <laughs> Maybe. I feel like Nora's family, she's told me several different creepy stories. And I think we've already included some in some of our episodes. She has a lot. Another one that also happened in Dallas is Nora's whole family pretty much lived in the same apartment complex. And in her uncle's apartment, who had two daughters, they would see something very creepy. Now, they saw this individual thing separately and told the adults about it at separate times without first speaking to each other. What they both claim to have seen is an old lady with white hair in a nightgown in the closet with a bloody nose. No, 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 no. Yeah. And so all of those details they told the adults at separate times. They were too scared to say it to each other. And so they both saw the same woman in a closet. That stresses me out. Yeah, that's really scary. So the other one is from my mother-in-law. And it's about my brother-in-law. So she says when their grandma's third husband died, my brother-in-law was three years old. And he would call him Pop-Pop. The day after the funeral, she heard my brother-in-law talking and found him in the grandmother's closet. He was facing a wall and she was like, that's kind of weird. So she's like, who are you talking to? And he's like, Pop Pop. And she's like, well, no, sorry, Pop Pop's in heaven. And he's like, no, he's here, which is not as creepy as it is like heartwarming, but it's still like your kid's talking to something that you don't see. I feel like I read stories all the time about small children who are talking to grandparents. And I think that that's particularly sweet because those children don't always realize like, oh, they're gone. And it's a person who you could see who's not going to freak out. Okay, I'm going to tell you a series of stories that have to do with my imaginary friend. Her name was Jamie. I had Jamie as an imaginary friend when I was four to five. Every story that I'm going to tell you about her, I do not remember first person. It is told to me. It's typical that you don't remember like a lot of things in your life, right? Like Especially from early childhood. But even as a child, I didn't remember that. So people like when I was six, people were telling me these stories from when I was four. And I was like, not a clue. So I had read something actually when I was looking up information for this episode is that normally kids start forgetting their younger kid stories when they start school. And I found that interesting because their brain is having new memories and a lot of them and a lot more functioning maybe. And it's normally right when they start school. So like sometimes it happens a little bit earlier when they're in like preschool or a little bit later if they start at kindergarten. But I I just thought that was interesting. No, that is very interesting. But all of these were told to me. So just a little bit of background on Jamie. I know that she was older than me and I didn't ever describe how she looked or anything like that. One day my mom and I were sitting, we were outside and there was like this little field next to our house and we're just like walking around and I look up to my mother terrified and I'm like, mommy, we have to go inside. And she's like, why? And I'm like, we have to go inside right now. I mean, and this is like a four-year-old, right? Like I would imagine I was cute. I had my dirty blonde hair. I'm imagining pigtails, stretch pants. It was the 90s. And I was like, right now. And she's like, okay, but why? And I was like, we need to go into the house. We need to lock the doors and all the windows. Jamie's brothers are coming. And so this is the first time we're hearing of Jamie's brothers. And I don't know whether she asked who they were or whether I just offered the answer, but her brothers were Jack the Ripper and Dracula, which is hilarious. It's also like my dad had a comic about Dracula the Ripper and Dracula. So I had definitely heard people talk about them and that they were bad men and stuff like that. So like fascinating that that's what I took. But Jamie went everywhere with me. We were like thick as thieves. 
I would also like they would leave space for her in the car. I was like, you don't don't sit there. She sits there. And one time I was going somewhere with my Aunt Nora and I was like, we forgot Jamie. And then my aunt was like, oh, God. And then she remembered that she's not real. Like she, she forgot like a child at first. I know that at one point, Jamie, I want to remember her saying something to my cousin and like freaking him out. And I was talking to my mom about it today. And I was like, are there any other stories that you remember? She's like, I can't remember any other ones. But she says, and this is also what I believe, that Jamie was a little ghost in our house. That She was a little girl because it was like the first house that I'd ever lived in. It was very haunted. (laughs) And like I said, she was older than me, right? So when I was in my early teens, I was up late by myself. I was like on the internet. I think I was like maybe 11 or 12, maybe 13, somewhere in there. And I went to go upstairs and I looked at the top of the stairs and I saw a little girl, like ghost of a little girl, long hair, nightgown, clear as day. And then she fell down the stairs. Oh, yeah. And also I was taking a nap in my brother's room. I don't know why, but the window was right next to where the bed was. And there's a part of the house where it's like the roof and then there's like the fancy little slope down. And my brother used to like go hang out there sometimes. So it was an accessible place. But I was sleeping and I had the window open and I think I had like just laid down and it was like maybe like five o'clock, but it was like part of the year where it was getting darker earlier and I could hear footsteps out there. And so I sat up and I didn't look outside like I sat up and was like kind of just like listening. And so I heard footsteps and then I heard humming and then I heard a scream. Oh, gosh. Oh, what else was there? My parents and I both saw our dog playing with nothing as though something was there very often. Hey, at least it's nice to the dog. Very nice to the dog. And so here's another interesting part. So the way the house was set up was highly strange. Maybe a month or two ago, I was at my brother's and we sat down and we both drew our recollections of the house. And we were talking about each part to our spouses. And they were looking at us like we were insane because there was such strange detail to the house. But so when you went up the stairs, it was enclosed at a certain point, which isn't altogether strange. But normally that enclosure leads somewhere, right? Like it's a closet. It's not just a walled off space where there's nothing, right? Because what's the point of that? There was that there, though. Like it was walled off and nothing. I'm like motioning it to my hands with Amanda. And it was adjacent to where the closet would be in what would be my brother's room. But when I was a child, it was both of our rooms. And so... As a child, I remember being terrified of that closet. I didn't go in there unless like my mom was in the room and it wasn't even a big closet. It was just like a standard little like think coat closet kind of closet. Like it was pretty small and I would not go in there like I would freak out. And when I was in his room once, I was literally standing there staring at it and the door just opened by itself. No draft, nothing. And I told my parents, I don't know why I became sure of it, but in my early teens, I was like, There's a body in that wall, right? I was going to say, there's this enclosed wall that you can't get to. There's a body there. (laughs) Well, and I I said to my parents, I was like, there's a body in that wall. And they were like, no. And I was like, I can't tell you how I know, but I know in my bones that there's a body in that wall. So who lives there now? The house got torn down. There's no reports of a body being found? No reports of a body being found. But if you think of like the rubble of a house... You might not see it. And if it was encased properly, you might not know that it's that. You might think it's just trash. Maybe. Interesting and creepy. Yeah. I was the creepy kid, I guess, was the moral of that story. (laughs) 
one of my other friends, Stacy, who I've mentioned before, she actually helped us with one of the autopsy questions. She's like, I don't say this creepy, but she did grow up in a funeral home. It was great. I went over there all the time. And there is one night where I remember, I think she was either at camp or visiting somewhere. And I was watching her baby sister by myself while her mom was working. And I just remember not being able to sleep. I was just sitting there watching TV, hoping I didn't hear anything and that I wouldn't have to leave the room because it was light in that room. Because you just felt like this weird, creepy presence. And it could have been, you know, a wall over is where they embalm people. But it was an intense, intense house. That sounds like it would be chilling. Yeah, I mean, it was a nice house and everyone was super sweet, but it freaked me out. She was like, I don't see it as creepy, but you could mention I grew up in a funeral home. She too may have been the creepy kid. (laughs) So... I have a story of this apartment that we lived in. I think I was in maybe sixth grade-ish. And it was a two-bedroom apartment. And the bedrooms were on either side of the apartment. And then the middle was the living room and kitchen and dining room. And the rooms were exactly the same, just mirrored. So they had like their own bathroom and getting ready area and then their bedroom. So in the middle of one night, we're all sleeping. It was me and my sister in one room, my mom and my like really young brother in the other room. And it had to be like 2 or 3 a.m. And I come running out of the room. I remember waking up like I knew what I had to do. And I heard a baby crying. But it was much younger than what my brother would have been. Yeah. But like a newborn baby crying. And it sounded like right outside my door. No, thank you. And so just woke up and ran. I didn't even think about it. Because if I would have thought about it, I'd probably have been like, oh my gosh. Well, right as I'm opening my door, I see my mom opening her door across the way and running out too. And she's like, did you just hear a baby? And I'm like, yeah, where is this baby? And we looked around everywhere, living room. We opened our front door. We opened our back door. No baby. I don't like this. As soon as we opened our doors, the crying stopped. Yeah. And we both remember it clearly. So that same apartment, like I said, my brother was very young and just weird stuff would happen all the time. We would hear our doorknobs in the middle of the night, like jiggle, like they're going to open. And then, you know, like when you hear it, you like kind of look up like who's coming in my room. It would never open. When we'd be home alone, me and my sister and brother would be like in our room hanging out playing and we would hear it and we're like, mom's home. No, she's not home. So just a very creepy place. Well, my brother would start playing with his toys and he was like right where he'd begin talking. He could say sentences. He could have a little conversation and he was playing with his toys and we were like, who are you talking to? Because he'd look up. He'd be playing with like action figures and look up and talk, then keep playing. And we're like, who is this? And he's like, oh, it's the man. And we're like, what man? You know, like no man lives here. And he's like, oh, it's the man. And then little by little, we'd find out more information about the man. The man had no eyes. The man did not like us. The man wanted to come in my room, but couldn't. Fair. So, you know, we're always freaked out now. From that point forward, we're always scared whenever we're at home. Well, he goes on and on about this man with no eyes. His skin's weird. And we're like, I don't understand. Well, my mom was really good friends with one of the maintenance workers. And she told him about this. And he's like, I wonder if something happened in your apartment. No, 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 no. So he goes and he finds the records. And apparently a man had died in our living room and he didn't have friends or family or anything. So the only reason they found him is because the smell of the decomposing body. And apparently because he sat and decomposed, his skin had started turning different colors and his eyes had sunken in, which would explain the no eyes and the weird skin. Oh, I don't like it so much. I don't like it at all. Yeah. 
Yeah. I'm sure it had bad vibes. Happiest day ever when we moved from that place. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, every time you're like, where my door to my room was situated, it would have been behind me when I'd be like getting ready in the mirror. And so every time you'd hear it, you'd like cringe like, oh, gosh, is it going to open? Is it a person? Is it not a person? No, thank you. Yeah, it was awful. So we're going to shift again and we're going to talk about past lives. Again, I think this is one of the creepiest ones, mainly because some people believe in reincarnation. Some people don't. I do believe in reincarnation. And it's kind of it affirms that belief. So it's creepy and also exciting for me. So some kids from ages two to five talk about having memories of lives that they've claimed to live. And some older kids can do this too, but it typically starts to fade around age seven, which makes sense with what Amanda was saying before, which was when they start school, they start getting like inundated with memories because up until then it's routine, 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 routine. It's like the same stuff. But so sometimes they show behaviors such as phobias or preferences that are unusual for their situations and can't be explained by anything they're doing right now. Yeah, there's one that I'd read about where they were really afraid of people in uniform. And the little girl had memories of being Anne Frank. That fucking sucks. That sucks. Woof. I mean, look, phobias are a complex thing. And it would make sense that if you had a very severe trauma in your previous life, that it could transfer over or like imprint on your soul in a way that isn't just easily shook off. Some kids have been able to accurately state facts about their prior life and even their death. And they're able to verify those with death records, which could you even imagine like your child walking up to you and being like, I was in a car accident on the, you know, on the corner of 5th and 7th. And then turns out like some businessman was in a car accident over there. And then so some kids even have birth marks or birth defects that correspond with wounds from previous lives. And it matches their cause of death. I've seen that or scars that they might have gotten in their past life. They're born with it in their next life as like a birthmark. Goodness. There was one story of, I don't remember if they were twins or just siblings. I think they were twins, I want to think. And yeah, one got a scar on their forehead and then they died in, a, I think, a car accident. And their parents believed that they were reborn because the babies that were born had a scar on the forehead or like a birthmark on the forehead. And then the other sibling had had a birthmark on her stomach, which the new kid did too. Which could you imagine if you like lost your babies and then you had more babies and then those babies were the other babies? Why am I crying now? Anywho, let's continue on. So I actually have a story from one of my family friends and them and their kid were walking down the road in Scottsdale. They're walking down the road and the kid says, oh, this is where I died. That's stressful. And they're like, what? And they're like, yeah, I was riding my bike over here and a car hit me and that's all I remember. And then I came to you and they're like, what? They got more details, all of that. They look it up and there was records of someone being hit on their bike on that same area that died instantly. What's sweet about it is the simplicity of it. Is that like, oh, I remember this and moving on. And it doesn't seem like they were traumatized by it because it was instant. Like, And then I came to you. Yeah, there wasn't like, oh, I remember this. I remember that. It was literally they were on the same road and it must have like sparked that memory. It was like, oh, this happened here. Which always when, when I heard that story when I was younger, I was like, I wonder if I would ever go somewhere and remember that place. Well, have you ever gotten deja vu? Yeah. I've read about how deja vu could be past life memories or like you've had a similar conversation in your past life and then it like triggers it. 
Here's my theory on deja vu. I, again, believer in reincarnation. I think that deja vu is when you have a similar interaction with a similar soul, right? In a similar place. So it might not be like I was in this coffee shop with Bob last week, but it was like me in a previous life was in a place like this with Bob in a previous life. And also, I will say, whenever I've been experiencing deja vu, it's when things in my life are just making sense. Like, I feel like I'm on the right track. So it's like, I feel like I'm on the right way or I don't know how to describe it. But it's an interesting phenomenon in the brain, I think. I I love reading about that stuff, though. Yeah, that's probably one of my favorite things. And, it, it you know, it's creepy, but it's also like it makes you feel a little bit better. I don't know. Everything's so unknown. It's just nice to be able to have like a concrete belief that feels real. Yeah. So there's a book called Return to Life by Dr. Jim Tucker, and he's now the director of the Division of Perceptual Studies. He's a child psychologist. And he wrote about a little boy named James Leninger who has verifiable past life memories of being a World War II pilot. This was nuts to me. Yeah, crazy. And so... When he was around two, he started having nightmares and he would scream. And one night he screamed things like airplane crash, plane on fire, little man can't get out, which the idea, like I know kids have night terrors, but like if a kid seems to like know what's happening in a nightmare, it seems extra sad and like, poor baby, you just want to like scoop him up and be like, don't feel sad things. And so his mom was like, who's the little man? And he said, the man inside the burning airplane. And his father asked, who shot the plane down? And he responded, the Japanese. Which a little kid won't talk like that. No, no. I mean, I will say, like, depending on the zeitgeist and the parents' home, if they're vilifying the Japanese, then perhaps. But let's go on because we'll kind of rule it out a little bit more. So his father asked how he knew that it was the Japanese, and he said, the big red sun. And he realized that his son had been describing World War II planes. And so James's father took him to a World War II exhibit, and they stayed there for three hours. James was obsessed with the planes, and he started to have nightmares four to five times a week. His parents thought about an exorcism, and then his grandmother was like, but what if this is past life memories? And so his parents started to ask him questions and probe for more details after each nightmare. And after months, he told the story about a man named James that flew a plane. It took off from an ocean carrier. He also remembered another pilot named Jack Larson. And when he was describing him too, he knew the name of the plane, the type of plane, and he knew the carrier name as well. Yeah, and that's very specific. Like Those are some details that little man just can't find. No, he can't read. (laughs) He also started to draw things like the planes in battles. And he named his G.I. Joe's names like Billy, Leon, and Walter. And they didn't know anybody who had those names. So it was a little bit strange. And when they asked who that was, he said that those were people who he met in heaven. That crazy because those are like old timey names too. You don't really hear them very often for the most part. Yeah. And so his father tried to disprove what he was saying because it's kind of out there, right? But he found the details that the kid described were true, including the plane names and the carriers during World War II, which, I mean, unless the kid was like secretly reading World War II books, how would he know this? And so they, they researched and they found the crew from the carrier and that they held reunions. And so they went to one in 2002 in San Diego. And during the reunion, his father learned that 18 pilots from the carrier died while serving in the Pacific. One of the pilots was named James Houston Jr. And he died in 1945 in a burning plane. 
So they also found out the names of the G.I. Joes were men who had served and died before James. And so he tracked down Jack Larson because remember, he remembered Jack Larson. And so Jack couldn't remember what had happened to James, but he did remember being his wingman. So his father met James Houston's sister and she showed him pictures of her brother and they confirmed the details that the son had been talking about. Do you have chills? Yeah, do you have chills? The whole time I'm saying it, it's chills. Yeah. It's crazy. And there were so many stories of this that that doctor had researched and talked about and talked to kids about that I probably would have stayed up all night just doing that. I had to tear myself away from reading these stories because I was like glued. It's also a feel good kind of story in a way that scratches like a macabre itch because there's like, what's going on? Weird child. Things fitting into place. (laughs) Yeah. So... Dr. Tucker also wrote about a boy named Ryan Hammonds, and he also had verifiable memories. He remembered being a Hollywood extra and a talent agent, which again, a young kid probably wouldn't know what a talent agent was. It reminds me of Boss Baby. Yeah. (laughs) So he started out, same thing, had nightmares, right? And then he started saying things like he remembered his wives' names, multiple different wives that he had at different times, (laughs) different jobs. He also had mentioned that he loved a certain soda, but get this, it was discontinued before he was born. So he wouldn't even know about it. Mm -mm, No way. So his mother started to research and she's like, okay, what is he talking about? And he kept bringing up like old timey Hollywood. He's like, I lived in California. I lived in Hollywood. So what she did is she took a bunch of books from the library about old Hollywood and they flipped through them. Because remember, he's a young kid. He couldn't read. They're going through all these pictures, book after book. Eventually, he points to a picture from an old film, and he's like, that photo is the man I was in my past life. Woof. That's me. Yeah. So, unfortunately, in that photo, the man was unidentified in the book. It was just like, you know, old movie photo. Oh, no. So, they actually did reach out to Dr. Tucker for help, and he helped track down who the man was. And he ended up being an extra in that movie, and his name was Marty Martin, and he was born in 1903. So they contacted Martin's daughters to confirm details about their father's life. And 55 statements matched. And that included how many children he had, his five marriages, his siblings, and even part of the street name that he lived on. Goodness. The thing that got me, this was crazy. He brought up what age he died, right? And he said he died at the age of 61. Well, when they were looking at it, the actor died at the age of 59. So Dr. Tucker was like, well, let me look into this. He researched old census records and found an inaccurate certificate, which then would make the actor 61 when he died. Chilling. Yeah. Chilling. And I love it. It was crazy. Also, so here, here's the thing. Someone contacts you and says that their child remembers XYZ person from your life and that, that was their past life. How would you, what would you do? I think I'd just be fascinated. I'd be like, okay, let's talk. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that I would feel the same because I'm very open to it. But I would imagine that that might be a really hard pill to swallow for some people that they would be like, right, you need to go. Because and also like, depending on how you phrase it, I could see people getting really mad, especially if that's like not something you've contemplated, because there's plenty of people who think that you go to a certain place after you die and that that's what happens. But like, it's hard for me to look at stories like this and be like, nope. There's just no way. There's no way that they could have known it. There was also a few that I had just skimmed over. I didn't really deep dive into them because I had to cut myself off. But there's somewhere they stay within the family where like uh, a little kid was getting his diaper changed by his father 
And he's like, I remember changing your diaper when I was your age. Oh, God. Raising your own father. Yeah. Like things like that. There was one kid who was like, I think it was her mom that was, oh, you haven't seen this movie before. Let's watch Snow White together. And she's like, no, I've seen Snow White. I saw it in theaters and described everything without seeing the movie before. Just little weird stories that I found that I was obsessed with. And I have seen one theory for this. One of the theories that I've just come across in passing is that little kids who remember these details, perhaps it's not a past life, but rather that they're tapping into the collective unconsciousness and able to pull details out of like about a particular person, but it might not have been them. But I'm still on team reincarnation. Yeah. Also, when I was a kid, like I have a very vivid memory of me stealing a little egg that goes in a planter from a craft store. And I had long brown hair and I was wearing like a velvet red dress that was very like early 80s. And I did not have long brown hair and I was born in 87. So if I was like dressed, it would be like early 90s. Right. And remembering this. As a kid, because when I remembered it, I had on like a teal stretch pants with white tennis shoes and like a pink T-shirt. Oh, wow. And I remember walking around the craft store and I like looked at my mom or something and I was like, I didn't steal anything. And she's like, what are you talking about? Like, and if you don't know this about me, I'm a goody two shoes. Like the idea of stealing something stresses me out. So I remember the whole thing and I remember it in the same store, even like the same, like same place, same store. Oh, wow. I also there was do you know what pit beef is? No. Okay, so pit beef is a uniquely Baltimore way of cooking beef. Okay. And they slice it and they put it on a sandwich and it's delicious. It's like cooked over charcoal. So it's like it's got like a nice like char on the outside. It's delicious. Okay. But there was a pit beef place down the street from where I grew up that I remember eating at and liking. But they closed when I was like an infant. Oh. Like I remember what the inside looked like. I remember sitting at a table. I remember like the sign. Wow. It's interesting to be in the same place again. Uh-huh. I think that fascinates me just as much as the whole thing altogether, that out of everywhere in the world you could be, you're back in the same city. Yeah, but there's a main road next to me. And I've grown up like where I live, the, the house that we bought is within a mile and a half with it from the house that all that creepy stuff had happened. And it's right near my grandmother's house used to be. So very close area. There's a certain road that I remember driving down in a van with my mother driving and my mother was a heavier set woman with like really, really curly long brown hair. And she was wearing like a maroon sweatsuit. And it was like later at night. Ooh. My mother has never driven. When her hair is long, it's pin straight. And never in my life has she been heavy set. Wow. But I very vividly like had this memory of me as a child driving down the street with my mother and all of this being true. And to the point where I remember asking my mom about it as a kid and she was like, I never had curly hair. She never got a perm? She never had a perm. I mean, not that I'm aware of. But I was so sure that this memory was from like this life because of the common scenery that at first it didn't even occur to me that it was from a past life. Wow. I love that. I've also seen that some people suspect that the past life memories could be astral projection. Ooh, go on. Like when you're sleeping and your soul leaves your body to explore another place, and then it's a dream that you have being in that place, but then you've created a memory of the place so that when someone visits the place, they know about it. Just dead silence for a moment with me. 
Um, do you mean that someone in the present astral projects to the past and relives a moment or that someone in the present astral projects, tucks away a little memory, and then when a person walks into that space, they happen to stumble upon that memory? The second, yes. So if I were to astral project to Maryland, I've never been there, right? And I went to Baltimore and I could be like, oh, when I come visit you, I've been here before. I feel like I know where where the entrance is, where the bathrooms are, where this is, because I've been here. Isn't that weird? Oh, it is weird. I would love to be able to astral project places and to just like know where the bathroom is in a place because I have a bladder the size of a thimble. And that feels like it would be a very handy just bit of knowledge to have. <laughs> well, start working on it. Has Ali ever said anything that has made you consider that he has had like past lives? So actually, I'm going to get to that. The doctor who had spoken with the other two kids we just talked about, he had a list of statements that a child may say when remembering a past life. So I'm just going to read through them real quick. You're not my mommy. You're not my daddy. I have another mommy or daddy. When I was big, I you know, used to have certain colored eyes, had a certain car, whatever. This happened before I was in mommy's tummy. I had a wife, a husband, children. I used to insert drive a truck, live in another town. I died in this way. And remember when I, and then they describe something that you've never encountered with their life. Well, Ollie has told me once, well, I have another mom. I've had another mom. I've only had one dad though, but I've had two moms. That's unsettling. Yeah. I tried to ask him about it today and he had no recollection of saying it. He, he did for a brief moment. He's like, yeah, I had two moms. And I'm like, well, what was your other mom like? And then he's like, I don't remember. Hmm. Stressful. Because now you're like, tell me everything. Yeah. Am I better? Like, you like me more, though, right? Do you, do you like me or you like, like, like me like your mom? <laughs> yeah. Am I better? <laughs> uh, so if you've been the creepy child, if you have creepy children's stories, if you think that you have past life memories, as always, we want to know about them. I am definitely going to start a conversation in our bat bonfire to see if any of our patrons have had any past life run-ins or any creepy children. Yeah, yeah. And if you would like to become a part of the bat bonfire, you can start with our lowest tier in our Patreon. It's called Mittens, which that's just cute. But we go all the way up to Vortex Bouncers, and there's a whole bunch of fun perks throughout in between. One of which being our private Facebook group. Yeah. So you can head over to TrueCreeps.com to check that out and our merch store and all the things. And with that, have a good weekend. Thanks for creeping with us. Thank you for listening to Cool Creep. Thanks for listening. For more information on our sources, please visit our website, truecreeps.com. If you'd like to follow us on social media, you can follow us on Instagram at truecreepspod, on Facebook at facebook.com slash truecreepspod, and on Twitter at truecreeps. We'd love for you to keep creeping with us. So if you like this episode, please subscribe, rate, review, and share the show with your fellow creeps. <laughs>